This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Destination Analysts, a team of travel industry experts widely known for their pioneering customized travel and tourism research that is second to none for reliability, affordability, and transparency. They not only assist their clients with the interpretation of their research results, but the architecture and execution of the strategy based on that research. And during the COVID-19 crisis, Destination Analysts have been producing weekly consumer trend insights. You can download the latest at destinationanalyst.com. And now on to our show. Our guest today is Butch Spirit, and Butch has served as president and CEO of the Nashville Convention and Visitors Corporation since 1991. Under his leadership, Nashville's hospitality industry has evolved from an industry that was largely based on theme parks and summer leisure travel to a year-round destination for convention, business, and leisure. Over his almost three decades at the helm, Butch has developed new and innovative marketing strategies to grow sales, including establishing citywide events like Nashville's July 4th and New Year's Eve celebrations. He has also worked within the community to transform signature events, such as the CMA Music Festival, making them more appealing to a wider audience and thus increasing their capacity to host more visitors. In 2006, Butch spearheaded Nashville's first-ever citywide branding initiative to grow the image of Nashville as Music City. In support of the initiative, he and the rest of the CVC created Heroes Behind the Hits, a monthly show on Sirius XM Radio featuring Nashville songwriters, established the Music City Walk of Fame, and developed a multifaceted live music venue campaign. Initiatives such as these have helped to keep Nashvillians in the top 25 hotel markets nationwide. He most recently championed the construction of the Music City Center, a new downtown convention center, a headquarter hotel, and landed the NFL Draft. He is the current chair of Destinations International and a graduate of Vanderbilt University with a BA in Business Administration. After serving as manager of the Travel and Conventions Department at the Mobile Chamber of Commerce, and as executive director of the Baton Rouge area CVB, Butch returned to Nashville to lead the CVC. So, Butch, welcome to DMOU. Uh, thank you. Good to be here. I had to stop and wonder who you were talking about. So, thanks for the introduction. <laughs> and let me uh, let me give a shout out to Destinations Analysts. Their weekly updates have been invaluable. Uh, I went online and made a donation earlier this week, just in support. It's been free, it's been needed, it's been valuable, and they have really stepped up. Uh, so thank them for sponsoring this and thank them for supporting our industry. Yeah, and they're doing just, just stellar work, and, and I couldn't agree more. And congratulations on ascending to the chair of Destinations International. I'm sure that as you began your year as vice chair a year ago, you thought, uh, that the rocky road for the organization was behind you and that you'd be able to hit the ground running and do great things this year. And of course, it's been anything but easy since you took the gavel at DI's virtual annual convention. But I have to commend you and those that remain at DI for staying vibrant, vital, turning out great resources for everybody in the destination marketing field. Uh, thank you. Uh, Don and his team, you know, in particular, Melissa and Jack, have been outstanding. So that team is leaner than maybe ever, but more focused than ever to deliver value and support to uh, to our industry. And yeah, I didn't see this coming. Yeah, five or six years ago, I was an outsider thinking I may never engage in DI again. Wasn't happy with the direction. Had just chosen to 
keep my nose to the grindstone, do my day job, and uh, the heck with that. And then here I am, two months into or six weeks into being the the chair of the organization. So life has a strange way of taking you down unexpected paths. And uh, I hope I'm up for the challenge. I think I am, but yeah, it's not what I signed yeah. up for. Well, we know you are, and we're looking forward to what the year brings. So before we get to your three questions in the bonus round, though, uh, tell us how Nashville is faring. Like everywhere, really odd. We're seeing slight increases in business every month. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday are providing a bit of a lifeline, like a lot of destinations. We opened up maybe a little bit too quick in June, and it bit us. So July was a really tough month. Yesterday, our mayor announced some broader uh, openings or capacities. So we're working through it. You know, I just literally this morning uh, had an op-ed in the Tennessean about, you know, fighting the good fight and working together. And, you know, the whole country is just angry. And as we want to be mad at everything, we only get out of this together. So I'm, you know, trying to carry that mantle. Uh, Our future sales are not horrible. Um, but it's hard. It's the only way to say it. Yeah, but with with all due respect, Nashville's not like everybody else because the backbone of your brand, the backbone of the destination is made up of individuals, not even companies, individuals that have to play live to survive. And, you know, I was watching John Cowan's birthday streaming party the other day and I was stunned that John, who is, you know, amazingly accomplished, member of the Doobie Brothers, and does his own stuff, and he said, for the first time in my life, I'm on unemployment. Oh. And it's like, wow, right? So tell us about how the music industry, I mean, the, the, the performers, the songwriters, you know, their entire livelihood has been taken from them. You know, it's a toss-up between music industry and hospitality in this town of who has been hit the hardest. Uh, And they're not mutually exclusive. Uh, You know, no artists are making any money on the road. No live music clubs have done anything since mid-March. You know, and certainly the A-list artists are fine. They'll survive just without a hiccup. But the riggers and the techs and the musicians and, you know, all of them are paralyzed. We've been trying to provide some relief there and taking advantage of some state CARES Act. We're about to launch a marketing program because it has to be marketing to take our brand globally with 30 plus stream concerts. And we're going, we're paying the clubs to produce the shows so that they can get some income and not have to close their doors. So there's a lot of guidelines and regulations that we have to subscribe to, but we think we found a path to prop up a good chunk of the music industry and market the city at the same time, which is the way it should be. Everybody coming together. Uh, But it's crazy and it's sad and the stories would break your heart. Uh, The only thing I can hope for is when this is over, there'll be a few really good songs that come out of this. Absolutely. All right, to question number one. Many board leaders have a specific focus when they take on the chair 
of Destinations International. For our friend Rick Antonson, who was a guest on this podcast, it was the environment, right? It was all blue-green during his term and, and travel's impact upon the environment. For the late Spurgeon Richardson, it was ethics and accountability. More recently, William Pate was all about financial excellence and control. What's the focus going to be for Butch Spiridon? Well, it keeps changing, or at least it feels like. <laughs> I, I do have to acknowledge the three people you named were all good friends. Rick, I consider my role model, for the, certainly on the DI side. Spurge was great for quotes and a great ally. And William, I learned so much from him on the fiscal side. And really thought he had propped us up so my year would be easy, but I was wrong. To get to your question, and I said it virtually at the convention, you know, for me, diversity and inclusion needs to be elevated. And we were already looking at it and working on it, but we need to elevate it and we need to speed it up. Advocacy, you know, we do have an opportunity to take the current realization that what we do drives tax revenue for cities and states and leverage that into a prominent seat at the table with our government leaders. And lastly, and no less important, making sure we put the eye back in Destinations International. It's kind of been left to the wayside, but we've been real intentional with committee appointments, board appointments, executive committee, and uh, some of the outreach that Don has done. So I feel real good about that. So diversity, advocacy, and international uh, expansion, if you will, are are my three key pillars that I hope to make a difference with. So let's drill down in in diversity, equity, and inclusion. We were uh, uh, proud to be a a partner with Searchwide Global and Destinations International in writing a position paper on how to be more intentional about diversifying our boards because – I believe, and Mike believed, and we got together on this, is that everything is going to change, but it has to change from the board level first, because that's where the cues come for the CEO and for staff. And the boards that I work with on a regular basis, and and that Mike does at Searchwide Global, you know, we are often startled at how non-diverse they are. And, you know, as as the old uh, line goes, you know, pale, male, and stale. And and we see a lot of that, and less on the male side. But but the pale and stale, yeah. And so tell us what Destinations International can do to champion this fight for diversity, inclusion, and equity. So uh, it does start at the board level. I agree with you and Mike, and I've read some of that. I think we have to teach people how to be intentional. And we just made a, uh, a bylaw change recommendation that, makes Don a voting member of the board and a member of the nominating committee. And I would say I watched kind of how we evolve. And board members and board nominating committees, because they're part-time, because they're volunteers, because they're distracted, they tend to gravitate to the people they know. Mm-hmm. And when we reorganized and we left the chamber here in 03, I managed to get myself as a uh, voting member of the board, executive committee, and on the nominating committee. And some people would accuse me of, oh, you just want to put your friends on the board. And never tried to do that. But 
what I do is bring to the table that uh, magnifying glass. Uh, are we diverse in business sectors? Are we thinking beyond the hospitality industry? Do we have the right ethnicity? Do we reflect the community? And that's, you know, I'm paid to do that. And by having a voice and a vote, I can influence it better than just sitting there on the sideline taking what they give me. So, you know, first changing DI and putting Don in that position. So if you're going to hold the person accountable, give them some tools to work with. But then, you know, meet with your leadership, meet with your outgoing chair and instill it upon them that, you know, we should have been doing it already, but certainly if it wasn't evident before, it is evident now that it has to become just a normal way of thinking and intentional and not a, oh, we got to make sure we have one black and one female or one Hispanic or, you know, it just right. change your thinking and make it normal instead of abnormal to be inclusive. Yeah. You know, it was funny when we were working on the uh, position paper with Destinations International, I was talking with Melissa Cherry and we both were kind of, you know, looking at, at the, the new recruits um, to the board over the past couple of years and they haven't been as diverse as I think any of us wanted. And we started trying to, to divine why that is. And I think this is what you're getting you know, to with the uh, addition of Don to the board and future CEOs is DI has, for as long as I know, essentially thrown out a call. You know, would you like to serve on the board? Would you like to, you know, and it wasn't the nominating committee actually looking out and saying that one, that one, and that one, those are the future leaders. Let's go get them. Right. And I think that that's going to be the, the evolution now is because, you know, with the CEO on the board, that helps, I think, keep everybody more honest and brings new ideas to the table. And I think that flipping a board nominating process to what I call a board development process, which is intentional, which is rather than inviting people to nominate themselves, and you can continue to do that, but also have a flange that goes off to say, we're going to go out and we're going to find the right people who can drive us to where we want to go. Uh, you, you just hit the nail on the head, and I don't you know, mean that as a good thing, but I would never have nominated myself for the board or for an office. You know, I hope I live up to whatever expectations are out there, but I'm not going to take that time. I, and I, you know, I guess I want somebody to want me to do something as opposed for me to self-promote myself. Mm -hmm. So I do think it's important to leave the process open where people can, you know, suggest themselves or others. I, I'm not opposed to that. But what I saw this year, it was really my first year to be deeply involved with the nominating committee, working with William, and I'll have the chance with Craig this next year. And then I'll, I think the way it works is I'll chair it after that. But yeah, the nominating committee has a responsibility to look at the makeup and be selective and recruit to make sure you're fully rounded and fully diverse. And, and diversity in our case means big and small cities, means domestic and international, means male and female, means black and white, right. means gay and straight, you know, means brown and whatever other color I'm leaving out. And, and young and old. That's yeah. a responsibility. Who right. put their name in? Okay. 
So you also said that this is not going to be a one-trick pony kind of thing. While some of your predecessors have had the one thing, you named three. One of them is political advocacy. So tell us why now, more than ever, you think that our relevancy depends on political advocacy. Well, I think we've always done a poor job as an association and an industry of engaging politically. And then we always complain that nobody listens to us or we don't have a seat at the table. But you know, if I start with the message of demonstrate value in your community, um, be present at things beyond just hospitality or tourism related, mm-hmm. step up. And we have, I'd say, a fairly big void at our chamber years ago when we had separated. And all of a sudden, I saw an opportunity, maybe by accident, but we started filling that void. And then we got invited to have a seat at the table. And for a period of time, we fill our role and the chamber's role in the community to a degree. And that gave people a chance to see that we weren't just buying ads. We were a relevant, integral piece of this community's economic viability and success. So you're going to get a seat at the table if you demonstrate value and a willingness. If you're always just wondering how big your budget is or what they can do for you or poor pitiful me, it's never going to get better. And I'll use specifically COVID. Probably we were the first call the mayor's office made. We're putting together a task force. We know how to do the health part. We don't know how to communicate it. Can you help? Yes. So we put together a team to work on communicating the messages from the mayor's office and the health department. Then I went to the mayor's press conferences every day for three months. Whether I had a role or not, I showed up, I listened, I added value, I picked up slack, whether it was slack or I offered to fix things. And and a great example there is I heard OEM saying, we've got to find somebody to provide meals. They were going to do an RFP, probably overpay, and give one company a bunch of business. It's like 200 meals a day, let's say April 1st through August 28th. I said, wait a minute. Let me do that for you. I'll save you money, and I'll spread the wealth so that we're propping up restaurants and caterers while they have no business. So we have been coordinating meals for assessment centers, OEM, Communication Command, and the Health Department every day since April 1st. And it's helped our businesses. It took a burden off of OEM, and it saved the city a significant amount of money. And then all of them are going, thank you. The meals were better. The meals were cheaper. Everybody won. And it, it wasn't an intentional, oh, look what we can do to get credit. You know, if anything, it was selfish to go, let me help our restaurants. But it made a difference and it showed how we can help the community outside of our daily role. Small example. And a great example at that. You know, I think that there are, well, it's a rainbow span, really, of DMOs like yours that the first call from the mayor is to you. So you have demonstrated over time 
the importance of what we do far more than an ad agency would be. And then you've got the people on the other side of the coin tend to be smaller communities that it's harder to prove that impact. But I think the opportunity that has been presented to us during this pandemic, you know, in a lot of cases, I don't want to say most, but I think it's most, at least the people I'm talking to, it's most, you know, jumped right into the fray. We were the organization in our communities that probably were the first to engage to try to help. I think a lot of other agencies were caught flat-footed, they were paralyzed, they didn't quite know what their role was, and they weren't getting a phone call from the mayor's office or the county executive's office. And so they just kind of sat for a while to try and get their bearings, thinking this thing might be just short-lived. DMOs didn't, by and large. And I think that that is going to be hopefully a defining moment when people begin to take a, a breather and start to, to look out about, okay, where's the future? And the future is going to be looking at DMOs in a completely different light. And we have to make sure that this is that moment that our political advocacy work is honed, it is laser beamed, and we remind people over and over that we were the first agencies in to assist. So with political advocacy, though, there comes this, this tightrope that we run because there are going to be elected officials that don't get what we do, choose not to accept what we have become, and really don't understand the power of the visitor economy to create quality of life. Your new mayor, you tell me, was not initially a supporter of the industry that powers your community, but this pandemic has been the opening for you and the industry because not exactly the biggest supporter, but you were the first call. So that says a lot. What have you learned over the past few months that you'd suggest that others in the destination marketing sector should consider as they have these conversations with their electeds? You know, my first answer to your question would be, don't let this be the end of the communication and the relationship outside of your day job. You know, use it as the first step right. toward being at the table. And again, I, I use it with my staff weekly. Demonstrate value. You know, when they ask me, are there going to be more furloughs? Demonstrate value. The rest will take care of itself. I'm looking for people that want to help, know how to help, and it's not just about them. So some will take the opportunity to leapfrog their relationships, and some will go back into their rabbit hole of, well, I'm tourism and you can't tell me what to do. Cities are our clients, so recognizing that is important. If the city's not in good shape, then we don't have a prayer at succeeding but not just calling them and talking to them when you need something. That old phrase, it goes for our D.C. elected officials, our state, and our local. Don't just call them when you're mad, you need something, or are panicked. Yeah. Check in. Thank them. You know, we got some CARES Act money from the state. I sent a gift basket to the state tourism office. Then I wrote a handwritten note to the Commissioner of Tourism, the Governor's Chief of Staff, the Commissioner for Finance and Administration, and the Governor himself, thanking them. You know, all they've been hearing since March is what dumbasses they are. Mm -hmm. You know, how tone deaf they are. They don't have a lot of love. So saying thank you matters. Being there as a sign of support matters. Checking in on them. They're human. Think how we feel. Whatever condition I'm in, they're worse. What they're dealing with every day, 
Now, I may not agree with them. I may think they're crazy, but be empathetic to right. the scenario and what's around you. And seize this opportunity. I, I can't say it enough. We're just at such a critical point, and Don and I have been talking a lot. We think the path forward for us as an industry is the U.S. Conference of Mayors. And we have a friendly voice in the mayor of Louisville. If he can ever get out of COVID and social unrest, he wants to be an advocate for us. And he's the new chairman of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. So we have an in. I hope we can make that work. But it matters at a city council level, city manager level, mayor, state reps, governor, all the way up to D.C. And uh, we've never done a good job at it. Matter of fact, we suck at it. I'm hoping we can change the mindset going forward. Yeah. As the late Phil Craig was famous of saying, you got to be there before you got to be there. Right. And that's what it's all about. Yep. Well, yeah. All right, time for the bonus round. In the almost three decades that you've been leading Nashville tourism, you've produced nationally recognized events. You've produced a monthly radio show on Sirius XM. You've landed high-profile events like the NFL Draft, which you guys killed. And you were the executive producer of a sensational documentary a number of years ago called For the Love of Music, The Nashville Story. Coming soon, it is It All Begins With a Song, the story of the Nashville songwriter. I got to see an advanced screening of this this spring, and wow. This absolutely hits me where I live because I'm a lyric guy, right? Terry's all about the music and the beat. I'm all about the lyrics and the songwriter. Maybe that's why we're so good together. Tell us about your life as a movie producer. <laughs> well, I've never heard myself called that or, or thought that. <laughs> you know, I made sure on the second film, I am listed as an executive producer, but typically that means the people that put the money in. Okay. So I wanted to be considered one of the producers, but more importantly, I spent a considerable amount of time in the edit bay and on site filming, even asking some of the questions. So I made them list me in the credits under one of the editors because I felt that was more meaningful. Came out of the blue. I, I got to tell this story because it was not my idea and it, that pisses me off. Um, <laughs> We were meeting with an agency that was working on our website, and they had a new creative guy. And sat down in a meeting, and he's kind of a big guy, gruff, deep voice. And he looks at me, and he says, you all should do a documentary. And I immediately liked him less. Uh, In my head, I went, damn it, he's right. It's a really good idea. It's going to cost me a lot of favors. Money we don't have. And I can't say no. So uh, today we're pretty good, good friends. I have great respect for him. But we were poor, as I said. We were really working on broadening the definition of the brand. So we always were known as Music City, so we had a nickname. But we didn't really have a brand. And people didn't understand how deep it was. And so as we try to tell it, you know, I'm paid to lie as I often say so how am i believable when i say oh no we're more than country music or oh we've been doing this a long time so we did a historical perspective documentary on the history from the late 1800s and the fisk jubilee singers to jack white kings of leon keith urban 
won a lot of awards, got it aired globally. You know, so for $300,000, we had a project that's still alive, still airing around the world, uh, but it aired on Channel 4 in the UK. It aired on Foxtel in Australia. It's aired in flight on British Air and Delta. Uh, so it, we got our money's worth. I could never have bought that. Yeah. So it was a creative way to tell the story and affordably get our message out there and believably. And then one of my personal lessons, uh, uh, rules that I follow is, you know, when you hit a home run, when you hit a grand slam, let it go. Don't try to do it again. It will never be as good the second time. Uh, well, a few years after that and a lot of success, it was like, damn it, there's this really good songwriter. <laughs> we have to try. So it was harder uh, because it didn't have the historical perspective, had a chronological storyline. It was easy to put together. This didn't have that storyline that made easy sense. And I would tell you, the director and the other producer thought it was done and sent it to me. And literally, I was in this room watching it, and I went to myself and then to Dina Ivey, our CMO, and said, I can't show this to anybody. I, no. And I'm going to get fired if anybody finds out how much I've spent, and I can't show it. So uh, I finally mustered the courage and said, this is awful, and I'm not showing it. We need to start over. The footage was there. The edit was bad. And yeah. We blew it up, okay. and by blowing it up, the same guy that I referenced, his name's John Gotze, the light bulb went off in his head. And that's where we, the hook was the song, I Drive Your Truck, and the story behind it. So we needed that hero in the middle of the film, and we finally found it. But uh, I'm more proud of it than I was the first one, we think. It will be available on Amazon in October. Uh, it has aired in a number of places. It is on demand right now, but it gets its big release through Amazon in a few weeks. Yeah, that's going to so be we're excited about it. it. Again, does tells the story because it's from the mouths of the songwriters. So we didn't pay anybody. We didn't script anybody. Real important to, to add that. They all gave back to their craft, they gave back to the city. And the songwriters that have seen it, even the ones that aren't in it, are proud of how we represented them. And that was the, maybe the even scariest part, is I gotta show it to my friends and peers and stand up to their scrutiny and their talent. And thank you for the kind words. I feel like we did that, but. Oh, you just nailed it, yep. And, you know, as we said in your bio, one of the things that has made Nashville even more successful uh, during your tenure is that you've broadened it, that it's more than country. You know, it's more than Americana. I mean, it, it does include rock and other genres as well. And one of those moments is I'm watching these faces that you normally don't see because the songwriters aren't usually the ones who have the hit with it, is pops up Jonathan Kane, who most people would know as the keyboard player for Journey. And, you know, he's from Nashville, and he's a songwriter that, that all genres have covered. 
And it really does show the breadth of Music City, that it's not just country, it's for everyone. Yeah, that's been the goal. But as I said, hard for people to believe me when I say it. But when you show it, and even I discovered John Hyatt's in the film. And yeah. John Hyatt's song, Have a Little Faith, has been recorded over 32 times by different artists. Yeah. That covers every genre out there. Mm-hmm. So there are great stories and great inspiration. We're fortunate. I count my blessings that I have that kind of talent to help market the city and showcase the city. But what I feel like we did was leverage it, but leverage it in a mutually beneficial way. So even going back to the advocacy question, we have friends and partners that will help us because we don't embarrass them, abuse them, wear them out, just ask them to play for free. We have a relationship. And I think you know maybe that taught me how to do it better politically or vice versa. But you know I can assure you the first film, and I knew the first question, especially when we went to some of the rock artists, I'm not going to be in a travel film. <laughs> Why would I do that? Right. That's not their image. But when we said, no, it's a legit documentary on the history of music, and then we could show them some clips, then they trusted. But once they saw it, then they were all in for other things that we ask of them because we built the relationship and the, the trust level. We don't embarrass, abuse, or overuse anybody. We absolutely loved it and can't wait to see it again when it comes back on uh, Amazon. Butch, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule for this podcast. We are solidly behind you and your goals for Destinations International and our sector. And again, we can't wait for everybody to see the documentary, which is called It All Begins With a Song, the story of Nashville's songwriter. Put it on your calendars now. Amazon sometime mid-month in October and go look for it. Uh, It's going to be great. And we pray that Nashville comes back stronger than ever. Well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to be on your podcast. Thanks for all you do to advocate for our industry. Absolutely. means a lot. I appreciate it your time and appreciate all you did. Thanks. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers, this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's called DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Destination Analysts, a team of travel industry experts widely known for their pioneering customized travel and tourism research that is second to none for reliability, affordability, and transparency. You can download the latest edition of their COVID report at destinationanalyst.com. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find our links to services from the DMO sector, links to the Z News, our Knowledge Bank, videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as past episodes of this podcast. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>